There has to be some common sense. Yes, sir, they have the car stopped at 10 and branch microfiber. We still don't know who pulled the trigger. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff, Real Crime Stories. I'm your host, retired NYPD Sergeant, 27-year veteran, Bill Cannon, and with me tonight, straight out of Brooklyn, retired NYPD Detective Phil Grimaldi. How you doing tonight, Phil? I'm doing pretty good, Billy. How you doing? How you feeling? Not bad, not bad. You know, the uh, this Gabby Petito case, um, as we all know, it's been up for the civil trial, and... Uh, they were all in court just the other day, just a couple of days ago. And I thought it was going to be a while, but really quickly, the decision has come back at least to proceed forward with it. And I want to play this little, um, this news clip, because I think it uh, summarizes it pretty damn well. Family will get their day in court after all. A Sarasota judge has decided to allow their lawsuit filed by her parents to move forward. This comes days after images of Brian Laundrie's notebook were released, documenting his confession about killing Petito while they were on that cross-country trip last year. They're suing Laundrie's parents for causing them emotional distress, and the judge issued today an eight-page ruling. As Fox 13's Kimberly Cuisan reports, he found Gabby Petito's parents had a valid claim against the Laundries. The Laundries motion to dismiss the case has been denied. Judge Hunter Carroll says if the pair had truly remained silent, the ruling would have been in their favor. This comes a week after Gabby Petito's parents appeared in Sarasota County Court for the first hearing on their lawsuit against the Laundries, claiming while cross-country search was underway for Gabby, Ryan Laundrie's parents already knew what had happened to her. The Laundries tried to have the case thrown out, saying they had no obligation to speak under the First and Fifth Amendments. Last week, Patrick Riley, the attorney representing Gabby's family, said the statement released on September 14th, saying in part, it is our hope that the search for Miss Petito is successful and that Miss Petito is reunited with her family, gave that false sense of hope. If someone doesn't find his statements, knowing all the facts that, that were known to the Laundries at that time, if somebody doesn't find that offensive and outrageous, I don't know what's outrageous. That's what Judge Carroll agreed with in his ruling. He said the statement by the Laundries attorney was objectively outrageous. He continued on saying if the Laundries would have in fact remained silent, the court would have granted the motion to dismiss in their favor, but they did not. They may not have spoken themselves, but their lawyer, Stephen Bertolino, did the talking for them almost every day through text messages, statements, and interviews. In a statement, Bertolino said the Laundries and himself were disappointed with the judge's decision. They will continue to use all available legal means to preserve their rights. The court docket shows a jury trial scheduled for August of 2023. In Sarasota County, Kimberly Cuisan, Fox 13 News. Wow. That's all I have to say is wow. And one of the things that we as laymen, we as outside outsiders looking in, we didn't like the dirty, the dirty pool that was played in this case. And the one interesting thing about the judge's ruling was, had they truly remained silent, he would have had no other ruling to go to but to rule in their favor and to dismiss the case. However, you can't be 50% pregnant. And they talked about certain things. They pretended through their attorney 
that they knew that Gabby was still alive when in fact we believe and everyone believes and it's probably this probably documentary proof as well as proof by uh, people they had interviewed them that Gabby was dead at that point. So how ugly is that, Phil? That's very ugly, Billy. And I'm just hoping that there is some electronic evidence like a, a text message from Brian to his parents or vice versa, or perhaps uh, some type of communication that can be documented and can be later be brought into court. But th the statement by this judge, Judge Hunter w, w. Carroll, I think is very, very uh, powerful. He said that statements by the laundries, knowing that Gabby was dead, knowing the location of her body and knowing that her parents were frantically, frantically looking for her. If this is true, then the laundry statements were particularly callous, cruel, and it's sufficiently outrageous to state claims for intentional infliction of emotional distress. Now I'm not a lawyer, but those are powerful statements. I don't think you need a law degree to understand the, the wording here. Intentional inf infliction of emotional distress. I think that's the threshold that needs to be met for this lawsuit to be successful. Now, if they can prove that they had the knowledge and they had the uh, the fact that she was already dead because, you know, Brian makes this statement in his notes that uh, he killed her at a, a, a merciful, uh, I wrote it down here. He used words like uh, uh, it was merciful that this is what she wanted. But I see now that I made mistakes that I made and I panicked and I was in shock. Apparently he's claiming she hit her head and that she, you know, she wanted to be, to be uh, put out of her misery. This is a totally ludicrous statement, but if they can prove that there was, uh, the fact known that she was already dead and they put out that statement with their big mouth attorney, uh, Stephen Bertolino, that uh, they were hoping that the, the search was successful and she was re reunited with her parents, knowing that she was already dead. I think that that's the threshold met for intentional infliction of emotional distress. You know, there's a little, I'm going to read something that was in the New York, New York Post. Gabby Petito's family filed an amended lawsuit. This was about a month ago, I believe. Uh, against Brian Laundrie's parents, claiming they went on vacation with their son, all while knowing he had killed the 22-year-old Long Island uh, native and the whereabouts of her body, according to a local report. The amended complaint was filed in Sarasota County after a judge there noted procedural deficiency in the suit originally filed in March by Joe Petito and uh, Nicole Schmidt against Chris and Roberta Laundrie. Notably, according to the report, the new lawsuit claims that Laundry took Brian to a Florida campground in September 2021 while knowing he had killed Gabby, the report states. The suit claims the Laundries were also aware of the location of Gabby's body, which is missing for nearly a month until authorities tracked it down in Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. While Gabrielle Petito's family was suffering, the Laundry family went on vacation to Fort DeSoto Park on September 6 to 7, 2021, the suit states, according to the report, they went on vacation knowing that Laundry had murdered Gabrielle Petito. It is believed that they knew where her body was located and further knew that Gabrielle Petito's parents were attempting to locate her, it adds. The suit does not provide evidence as to how they knew the Laundries knew the whereabouts of Gabby's body, according to the report. Their attorney declined to comment in an email to the Post Friday. On September 19th, Gabby's body was found in the Wyoming campground. A medical examiner later ruled she'd been bludgeoned and strangled to death. The FBI did not directly say Brian murdered her, but they found he was the sole suspect in the demise. 
Shortly after Brian returned to his parents' home in Northport, Florida, he went missing inside of a massive nature preserve until his remains were found in late October. It was later determined he died by a self-inflicted gunshot wound. So all of these things, uh, it seems like, and there may be not just seems like, there may be documentary evidence, there may be electronic evidence, there may be testimonial evidence. Look, the laundry's attorney, he could wind up being a witness because he told a lot of lies. You know, in my opinion, what do you think? Well, listen, there's other um, factors here that, you know, uh, are going to be brought out in court. Now, one of the factors that I think that's going to be very powerful is the fact that they tried to make contact. Gabby Petito's family tried to make contact with the laundries to find out the whereabouts of Gabby since Brian wasn't responding. Uh, they had numerous attempts. They even went to the house. So they did uh, everything that was expected of them. Now, once this Bertolino gets involved in, in the, uh, in the, in the whole uh, saga, you know, I think he gave them bad advice because, uh, you know, our friend Joe Murray has said many times, keep quiet. Don't say anything. They were better off not saying anything. What they should have said, I think if they were going to say anything was we don't know the whereabouts and we hope that she's recovered or, or found or whatever it was. But uh, either way, they shouldn't have made any statements at that point. What they should have did. I mean, in a perfect world, maybe coax the son into surrendering to police, telling police the story and then going to trial and hope uh, for some day to visit him in jail and him to have a life after Phil, jail. Phil, that, that, that's all police. easy to say, but all during this, they're being questioned by local law enforcement they're being questioned by the FBI. The FBI got a, an arrest warrant for their son. Their attorney's being uh, questioned and uh, called up by all kinds of law enforcement. So to keep totally quiet, the, the attorney would have to say, uh, I, I plead the fifth. I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to. And, and does, does an attorney have to do that? I don't think he has to do that. Well, no, I think, Billy, if if the FBI comes calling and they can say, listen, we don't want to, you know, we don't have anything to say, speak to our attorney. And the, the attorney can say that uh, they have nothing to add and, and you know, they're not going to they're not going to submit to any questioning. I think that that's within their legal right. But they didn't do that. They made these statements. And I think they kind of put themselves in the trick bag now for the civil suit. You know, I, I don't know if there's a, a possibility. I think if there was going to be criminal charges, that already would have come forward. So I think that they put themselves in the trick bag now. I really didn't think that there was a lot of legs on this lawsuit to begin with. But now that we're finding out this judge's ruling and, and uh, he's basing it on the statements that were made through the attorney by the parents. I think that, uh, you know, there's going to be, uh, it looks like there's going to be a trial. It's going to move forward. I don't know if it gets thrown out somewhere down the line, but I think if this gets in front of a jury and all of the facts are brought out that they tried to make contact with the people, these people had information knowing that she was already dead based on possible, whether it be notes that he sent to them, emails or text messages, whatever it is, if they can prove that before this girl's body was found, that they knew she was dead. And before that statement was made, then I think that the, the, the jury is going to rule in their favor. Now, I don't know, uh, you know, what kind of monetary, uh, you know, award would be made in a case like this. But I think just the fact that if, if the family gets a verdict in their favor in a civil suit, I think that will be a victory for them. I think that since Brian killed himself, they can't, you know, they can't get any justice by putting him in jail. Can't put somebody that's dead in jail, obviously. But I think this will give them some type of uh, a victory in the, in the legal arena because uh, I think you know, one of the things I think one of the things they want is they want 
more truth to come out because there's many things uh, that are still uh, unknown. Let me play this here. Four, that those claims are more appropriately addressed, if at all, at the summary judgment stage, which basically means that he wants to see this go further rather than this be dismissed at this stage in the legal process. Really quick, before we move on to the next phase, what do you think of uh, this section of the argument? Absolutely. And that's what I was referring to. You know, the judge hinted that that might be a basis to dismiss. He's not suggesting that it's going to happen. He's not going to give it away, obviously, because it's too early. But at a very minimum, if you can think about, if you look at it in this terms, the complaint is just the bare bones allegations. You know, it's not the entire case. It doesn't summarize every single piece of evidence that's out there. And so as a result, the judge is saying, listen, this may be more appropriate for a summary judgment. And I can see where a judge could say that, you know. So uh, it makes complete sense. Uh, you know, words are protected, speech is protected. But I love, that, you know, when, but you got to look at it again from the totality of the circumstances. Mm-hmm. It's their actions. It's shutting down Facebook. It's giving the, the, the law, you know, the family, Gary's family, the false hope, um, you know, going on vacation, I may have said already. So I think that, it's, that that's what rises the level, of the, uh, in my opinion, the intentional infliction of emotional distress. This poor family was suffering. And, and they, now they still have to prove that at some point, the family knew that Gabby was already gone, you know, and, and I think there is something there to be said that I think they knew. Um, but again, we'll, we'll see as the evidence bear out. But you're right. That little, that language right there is what I think the laundry family is going to rely on. Put all their chips and so, so to speak, on that, all their eggs in one basket for that summary judgment. And as far as the question real quick, listen, I just settled a wrongful death that took three years because the pandemic, again, shut everything down for about nine months. So yeah, this in this case is relative. What I forgot how many months old it is, but yeah, I can see this going maybe in in twenty twenty four, just because of the backlog. I I want to move to just a couple of paragraphs down here because when I mentioned that there are some theatrics with the way that this is written by Judge Carroll, I want to read this last section uh, of section number one, and it reads as follows. If the facts of this case truly were about silence with no affirmative act by the laundries, the court would have resolved this case in the laundry's favor on the concept of legal duty or more precisely, the lack of any legal duty for the laundries to act. Had the laundries truly stayed silent, the court would have granted the motion to dismiss in the laundry's favor. But here's this, here's that one little line right here before section two, but they did not stay silent. This is written with a little bit of drama, or at least that's how I'm reading it, Brian, uh, saying that, but they did not say silent. And what Judge Carroll is arguing here is that had that statement not been put out, had they actually remained completely silent and not had the statement issued by Attorney Bertolino in September, then perhaps he's saying that the motion to dismiss would have been granted making that statement put out by Attorney Bertolino in September so crucial to Judge Carroll's decision. No, I agree. And, and again, so it's that's why the judge is looking at it from the totality of the circumstances. It was more than that. And again, I was looking at my notes. And if you forgive me, as I look down, I mean, it's blocking the family from from Facebook, blocking them, you know, just instead of saying, listen, I'm, we're giving you hope. We hope she's still alive. But they're blocking, you know, Gabby's family from any further communication. So the false statement of hope, uh, elite, you know, just not revealing and according to the theory, you know, Gabby's family's theory, not revealing the location of Gabby's body. So if they knew, then absolutely, that is more than just remaining silent. 
It's and so that, I think that's what the court was saying by by this affirmative actions that they did take. If they had just stopped and said, "Listen, we're just not going to talk to anyone," so I'm not blaming the lawyers for for uh, the laundry family, but I think remaining silent would have been sufficient. Uh, and then I don't think we would have been here. And I think the, the case would have been dismissed at this point. You know, Phil, I think that also uh, in these big cases, the attorneys need to shut up too. I mean, if you watch during this case, attorney Steve Bertolino was on every damn newscast uh, every night of the week. Now, I don't care who you are, whether you're the sharpest attorney on this earth or whether you're a boob. If you run at the mouth, you're going to say something wrong sooner or later. And whether it's being questioned by a sharp reporter like Ashley Banfield, you could see when, uh, I know I keep going to that, when she interviewed him, he got flustered. But guess what? He didn't have to be interviewed by her. You don't want to get flustered? Don't go on a damn TV interview with someone who you don't know what questions she's going to ask you. There's two type of things that lawyers do, eh? They have the law degree where they get that three-year degree and after they go to uh, an undergraduate degree, and they get that shiny law degree. And then there's something called lawyering, which is the practice of law. And that's why they call it a law practice, because you can have a law degree and not be any kind of lawyer. You only get to become a lawyer through lawyering and through practicing, uh, being a practicing attorney. Ashley Banfield certainly, certainly rattled his cage in, on several occasions, actually. So, yeah, I think he should have stayed out of the media spotlight with this case. And, you know, th the statement that Brian makes, it's obviously a self-serving statement. It sounded like it was concocted uh, had he was going to be arrested and face trial. I think that's the uh, defense that they were going to go with, which was probably uh, submitted by uh, Stephen Bertolino, you know, um, before you tell me anything, did she fall? Did she have an accident? Blah, blah, blah. It might have all been played out that way, but it was definitely a self-serving statement, I think. However, they allowed him to go into the uh, nature preserve and he wound up killing himself. I don't know that they had knowledge of that. If they did, that would be even more atrocious. But uh, to let him get out of their grips and not face the music, that's what led to the suicide. I think they all have that uh, on their conscience. They're going to have to deal with that. But uh, I'm just glad that this judge uh, seems to be, um, you know, going in the favor of the Petitos. I mean, he ruled that uh, the, uh, Chris and Roberta Laundry have until July 15th to respond to the allegations that they engaged in intentional infliction of emotional dis distress. And there it is again, the intentional infliction of emotional distress. And I think that it's clear that they were uh, emotionally distressed when they were on the, the hunt to find out where their daughter was. You know, they went there, they started this, it was a national uh, media case. And, uh, you know, it's clear that, that they definitely did go through that if the, the, the uh, laundries could have provided information prior to all of that as to the, the whereabouts of Gabby Petito, that would have been, uh, you know, obviously a lot less uh, emotionally uh, stressful to them. So, uh, I mean, it's probably a high bar to meet going forward in the, in the civil trial. But uh, if you do have some type of uh, electronic evidence, like I said earlier, a text message where he's admitting uh, killing her prior to him even getting back to Florida, I mean, that's going to be uh, earth shattering for their case. That's going to be. Uh, Phil, you know, what kind of evidence was found in the truck? We don't know. The right? FBI invoiced that truck or the local police. So there could be documentary evidence in that that we don't even know about that indicates a timeline that is going to be uh, damaging 
uh, to the laundries. Uh, so that there's also going to be electronic evidence that is going to be damaging to the laundries. There's already evidence where it shows that he used Gabby's card. So there's all of that stuff. And then the laundry's trying to remain silent, but their attorney running at the mouth, I felt, at every newscast he could possibly go on. Uh, it doesn't go hand in hand. Let me play a little bit more of this and see what they have to say here. So section two is titled the laundry spoke. Section three is titled the statement. Um, and then, of course, it goes into it says the laundries contend that their statement is not outrageous as a matter of, of law. It continues down here um, uh, with some right. comparative analysis to other cases. Um, but really, that's a, a, going to be a big part of this now proceeding. And then also for the, the, this is section four is what I really want to ask you about, because Matthew Luca, the Florida attorney representing the laundries, really punctuated his uh, pre-trial, the motion to dismiss hearing last Wednesday by saying that if this is allowed to go forward, if this trial is allowed to happen with this understanding that it was because the laundries remained silent, or that's again their argument that the laundries were remaining silent, he said that there will be an avalanche of litigation here in the state of Florida uh, because of the precedent that it would set. W what's your take on that argument? Because here you can see at the title of section four, folks, you can see it on the center of your screen, Judge Carroll saying there will be no avalanche of litigation. Yeah, no, and I agree. And so I think if anything, the opposite would be true. If the judge would have dismissed this, then I think more people who, who take, again, affirmative steps and not only assuming they're lying, assuming the laundry <clears throat> for argument's sake is lying, allows now, um, you know, defendants to lie about what they know, remain silent issue false statements of hope. Uh, and so I think it's the opposite. I think that each, and it's another way of the judge saying, no, no, every case has to be addressed case by case. It's, you know, this is not legal precedent as far as I'm concerned, because the facts are so unique. Now, unless there's another case down the road in the future where, again, the the, the defendants who just take the same course of action, maybe they can rely on, a, on this opinion or any further opinion. But no, I, I think the judge was correct. It's not going to open, open up an avalanche of cases because again, they did more than just remain silent. And so the judge is letting them know, no, you know, uh, you should have done the opposite. You should have just kept quiet and we wouldn't be here. And he says it as much, he said as much. So, so I read that part and I thought it was right on point. And, and it gives hope for other people. Look, if you know something Say something. If you know, if you know that your our relative, our loved one is dead, uh, tell us. Don't give us false hope, you know. And so, there's, I think there's enough evidence there that there's plenty. Of, by the way, there's plenty of jury appeal. So, if if the family, if Gabby's family can get this to the jury, I can see a verdict in favor of Gabby's family, because uh, everything speaks volumes in terms of the actions that the laundry family took in cutting everyone off and then going on vacation and maybe even taking steps to hide. Uh, or help assist uh, their son, Brian, from hiding, that, that's not going to look good at all in front of a jury. But again, there's that summary judgment stage that I think that we need to worry about if I were uh, Gabby's family. So the, the big thing is that um, the judge is almost telling the laundry family to settle, to make a summary judgment, to offer, make an offer. Uh, I, I suppose it's a little early to do that, but he's putting that out there. We have our old buddy, uh, our attorney friend in the chat. Joe Murray, thank you so much for the 999 Super Chat. Hello, Sergeant Bill and Detective Phil. This decision was wrongly decided and will likely be reversed on appeal if they take an appeal. 
I can explain it very simply after reading the court's uh, decision. But Joe, if it goes forward, it goes forward. And if they make a summary offer to settle this case, isn't the case basically over? They make a monetary offer to the Petito family. The judge has already ruled it's going to go forward. So then are you saying that it should go forward and then go to the jury and then jury gives a verdict and then it's reversed on appeal? We're talking 10 years from now. I think Joe's saying that the decision is wrong and they should appeal the decision right away. And maybe uh, if they can get in front of another judge, uh, perhaps uh, they could, uh, you know, reverse that decision. But I don't know. Is the judge basing his decision just on the oral arguments or is it that he sees the evidence that they put forward and he's not talking about it? You know, that's the one of the things that I'm concerned with. You know, Phil, one of the things that Joe Murray said, and since I have him in here in the chat, I'll, I will use him, uh, is the fact that you do not have to implicate yourself. You do not have to uh, admit to anything. You have the right to remain silent. But the judge's ruling in this is that they, yeah, they had that right, but they didn't. They, they didn't, didn't keep their mouths right, shut. Right, right. So now the court chooses to use what they said against them as well as their attorney i said joe uh, joe murray i know you're in the chat and i love to talk to you with this i felt uh stephen bertolino should have kept his mouth shut too he ran at the mouth on every damn tv station there was and that does not serve your client you know well he's also speaking on behalf of the family when he gives a statement from uh chris and roberta laundry and he says uh the exact statement was that he uh they hope that uh the search was going to be successful and that Miss Petito would be reunited with her family. Now that statement is, is, is saying that they believe that she's still alive, obviously. And again, I don't think there would be an avalanche of uh, cases with the, uh, what, what the, the, the laundry's uh, attorney was responding to that there'd be an avalanche if it was ruled in favor of the Petitos. It's the opposite actually, because if they had remained silent and then he ruled in favor of, the uh, Petitos, then I would understand there could be an avalanche because now, you know, everybody's remaining silent and they're still getting pulled into a civil case, but they didn't. That's the fact. That's the most important thing. They made that statement through the attorney. And I think there's enough here. I mean, maybe there's stuff that we don't know about where they can prove that, yes, they knew ahead of time that she was already dead based on statements from uh, Brian, maybe in text message or email. You know, I'm trying to send um, Joe Murray a link because he he's chomping. I was at just going to suggest that because I'd love to. He's chomping at the bit to get in here, so I'm going to uh, I'm going to send him a link, but I don't want him to get too outrageous on us tonight. You know. No, I I, I really would like to hear his uh, his oral argument on this because I think listen, the way to do, that that the judge uh, put out the ruling, it sounds quite. Uh, logical to me. Now I'm a, I'm a detective. I'm a, a police officer. I'm not a lawyer, but uh, you know the the wording that he used does sound logical. If there is that threshold met, that they can prove that they knew ahead of time. That's really, I think, uh, what it really uh, remains to be seen. And I think that if that fact is there and the judge has that knowledge, that may be why he proceeded forward with the case. So I guess I don't think I don't think there is any doubt uh, that the that the laundries knew that a Gabby Petito was dead, B that their son killed him, C that their son was heading home from uh, Wyoming to Florida and D that he had, he had her truck. So 
So all of those truths, I mean, and then, you know, the attorney. How about Steve, the egregious behavior of the laundries when, when the, the family was trying to contact them and, and the police and the, uh, the family actually went to the house. That's egregious what they did, that they just slammed the door in their face or didn't answer their call. Didn't say anything. I mean, you know, the van is in the driveway. Brian came back. I mean, it's obvious. Who's he going to call? He called his family. He went back home to his mother and father. So he must have told them at some point, if he wrote this journal of, of what happened to her, he had to tell them at some point. I think it's really, uh, you know, illogical to think that they didn't know. So, uh, you know, hopefully there is some type of evidence. Absolutely. Civil suit pitting the families of Gabby Petito and Brian Laundrie against each other. A circuit court judge has denied a motion from the Laundries to dismiss the claim filed against them by the parents of Gabby Petito. They claim the Laundries knew their son killed Gabby and didn't tell authorities. Joining us now is News Nation national correspondent Brian Enton. And Brian, what does this motion of dismissal mean? Well, Ruta Bay, this is a big victory for Gabby Petito's family. Uh, essentially, this means that the civil case can move forward. Uh, the judge made the ruling this morning, uh, sent out a statement this morning saying that the, the motion for dismissal was rejected and that the case would move forward. They are suing uh, Brian Laundrie's parents, claiming they knew Gabby was dead during the search and did not tell uh, authorities or Gabby's family, causing uh, extensive pain and suffering uh, to the Gabby Petito family. Uh, Gabby Petito, uh, as we all know, went on a cross-country road trip with Brian Laundrie, and he murdered her uh, in Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming. In his ruling, the judge said uh, that the Laundries had the right to remain silent, but said the issue is the Laundries were not totally silent. Through their attorney, they released a statement saying they hoped the search was successful. The Petitos claim, even when that statement came out, the laundries knew Gabby was dead the whole uh, way. So this now paves the way for there to be a civil trial, which could really be very, very interesting, Rue Bay, because that means that evidence could come out uh, that we haven't learned about so far. What kind of evidence? What else is there that we don't know about? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, the Petito attorney this morning told me uh, that they will try to get text messages and emails from the laundries. Uh, emails and text messages between family members during the time uh, that Gabby Petito was missing. Uh, those are things that we haven't seen before. Okay, Brian, thank you. Thank you for watching. Go to news. So there you have it. We said it, they're gonna find uh, text messages, emails, electronic, the testimonial evidence, maybe handwritten evidence, uh, forensic evidence in the van. So all kinds of evidence that would have been out. Joe Murray, I sent you the link. I don't know if you. Uh, I just texted him too, Billy. I don't know if he, he didn't. Yeah, he's. Um, he may be out. Hopefully, he can come off from the car if he's not it, home. It's hard. It's hard to do it on the fly, but I did just send him the link. Okay. Yeah, maybe he is on the phone, and it's more difficult. So, uh, folks, this. I mean, for the um, obviously for the Petito family, this is great news, and I think more than being compensated. Uh, in a financial way, they really want to get the truth out there. The truth is horrible in this case. Their daughter was murdered by her fiance, and the truth was hidden for months and months. And the uh, the laundry family hid the truth with an assist from their attorney Stephen Bertolino. And you know, you could think oh, what you want about an attorney. Yeah, an attorney is your personal advocate. I don't have to like the guy. You know what I mean? And you don't have to like the guy, what he did. Uh, you know, he held these secrets in that kept the secret about the murder of a young girl who had a family that loved her. 
And as I said, I don't have to like that guy and what he did. I understand he's doing his job, as they say, you know, and that's what he was doing. But uh, I still find it somewhat egregious. Uh, listen, Billy, I agree with you uh, 100% on everything you said. I don't like what he did. I don't like uh, the way he came across. I don't like the laundries, how they uh, acted toward, toward this whole thing. Their posture was terrible. But again, you made the point, uh, an attorney is supposed to protect his client. That's what he was doing. He was doing his job. Uh, we don't have to like it. Uh, we don't have to swallow it. Uh, we don't have to accept it, but that is the law and it's within the law to remain quiet, remain silent. And, you know, I'm not saying that he architect the story that Brian wrote on paper, so to speak. However, he may have suggested something of that nature. And Brian said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, a, a lawyer can tell you, you know, if this happened uh, this way, uh, it would be better for you in court or if it happened that way, you know, he can make suggestions to you and then you tell him, yes, that's the way it happened. So, uh, again, you know, uh, an attorney uh, is contacted, uh, a client or, or a person, a, a, you know, anybody, an individual says, listen, uh, my girlfriend uh, is dead. Uh, you know, she was killed at my hands. Uh, without going into too much detail, the, the attorney would probably say, all right, stop before you go into it. Uh, you know, it, 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 how did it happen? This happened, that happened. And again, so, you know, the attorney could have supplied uh, the story that he wrote on paper. That story was definitely self-serving had he gone to court. I think that would have been the defense mechanism that they would have employed to uh, put up a defense uh, had he been arrested and charged with Gabby's murder. Triathlete New York. The sad thing is the laundry's new. Yes. If I had a son that came home without his girlfriend, really... The truth will come out, but I feel for the potatoes. The truth will come out. If they had any love for Gabby, they would have done the right thing from the beginning, and they didn't. You know, the other night when uh, I was I was on uh, talking about this case, I also questioned that. Uh, Joe Murray just showed up. Uh oh, there he is. He's got his flag. No, he's, he's always got he's always got his, his tie from the equipment section. He's got his he's got his beard nicely trimmed. Let me just let, let me just make my point, Joe, before I bring you on. Um, yes. One of the things is that had this been handled differently, and again, we're all 2020, we have the crystal ball, 2020 hindsight, but potentially if this had been handled differently, Brian Laundry could be alive. He would be in prison potentially or facing a trial, and potentially it could have got pled down to a manslaughter. But we never learned that whether or not that could have happened because his legal advice was to remain silent and everyone remained silent. And as a result, he committed suicide. And I'm not blaming that on his attorney. And his attorney also cannot predict what his client is going to do. But it was just a suggestion I made the other night that potentially had it been handled a little bit differently, potentially there could have been a different outcome. Joe, I'm going to remove Phil and myself from here. And I'm going to give you the whole screen. But please don't piss off my audience. Uh, <laughs> all right. Thanks, Bill. Okay, so this is a, a very interesting decision. And to me, it shocks me because of the way the judge wrote it. So essentially, he's saying we, we need not discuss the fact that there was no legal duty for them to act. The laundries, the parents, Christopher and Roberta. And he goes right to the statement a Bertolino, and he recites the statement on page two of the decision. 
Let me just read it. Bear with me. It's our understanding that a search has been organized for Ms. Petito in or near Grand Teton National Park in Wyoming on behalf of the Laundry family. So he's speaking on behalf of the parents. It is our hope that the search for Ms. Petito is successful and that Ms. Petito is reunited with her family. That's a very benign statement. It doesn't say we know she's alive, we know she's dead. It doesn't say anything. It's a benign well wish. I hope you reunite with her. Okay. They're saying, and the court is saying, and I knew this because he alluded to this during the oral argument. The judge said, isn't it a fact that Johnny Depp was just found liable for a statement made by his attorney? And in fact, it's clear. This statement speaks on behalf of the Laundry family. So it's absolutely imputed to them, at least at this stage, the complaint stage, because you have to look at the, the complaint and the allegations within the complaint in a light most favorable to the party who's trying to oppose the dismissal. So the lawyers is trying to move to dismiss. So they have to give every favorable inference to the plaintiffs in this case for what they wrote in the complaint. Here's the interesting part. The judge talks about how this statement, he even cited a couple of cases. The statement alone cannot be looked at in a vacuum. It has to be looked at in context. That's where I see him go wrong, and I can't believe the way he wrote this. So the very next thing he says, that statement was made on September 14th by Bertolino, Mr. Bertolino. Then it says right after that in the decision, Bill, I, I sent you the decision. I don't know if you could bring it up. On September 16th, two days later, the attorney for Gabby's family issued a letter to Christopher and Roberta, which provided, we are writing this letter to ask you to help find our beautiful daughter. Now listen to this. We understand you are going through a difficult time and your instinct to protect your son is strong. What are they saying? What they're saying is, we know you're covering for him. We know he did something to her. We're not believing your statement that you put out. Okay, then he goes on and he says, we ask you to put yourselves in our shoes. We haven't been able to sleep or eat and our lives are falling apart. Then they say, we believe you know the location of where Brian left Gabby. We beg you to tell us. What are they saying in the complaint? We don't believe Bertolino's statement. We don't believe it. Two days later, they wrote. Yeah, this yeah, fact. you know some Joe, but that's neither here nor there because no, there's no, going to no, be wrong. There's going to be other no. evidence. There's going to be yes, other evidence no, that no, shows no, no, that no, they no, knew. No. On a motion to dismiss, you look at what they call the four corners of the complaint. What are the allegations in the complaint? And you have to determine if the statement attributed to the parents is so outrageous beyond the pale. Joe, I got that, I got it. Wait, wait, wait. That caused them this extreme emotional, outrageous uh, distress. Right. By their own words in the complaint, they said they never believed that statement. So yeah, but obviously, Joe, but Joe, they're God. saying they're, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but they're saying God. that on the 16th, he came back to 
Florida on either the 30th or the 1st of September. And if there is indication that during his trip back, because we believe she was killed on the 27th, yes. I think he got back on the 30th. Let's say it is text messages or an email where he says, yeah, I killed her. And now yeah. you're talking about they don't believe it on the 16th at that point based on the statement. Now, I believe that statement was put out five days before her body was found. Now, her body was found, I believe, later on in September. But the bottom line is, if they can establish, Jonah, now you're the lawyer, you 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 correct me if I'm wrong. If they can establish by a text message or an email, let's say on September 1st, that he says, I killed her, or, or, or even before September 1st, I killed her, it was an accident, whatever. And they can establish that. Now, that statement goes out. Now, all that time, the judge uses the word intentional infliction of emotional distress. They did due diligence by trying to find her, by going to the house. They saw the van in the driveway. So, and they, they remain, they didn't answer any text messages. They didn't answer any phone calls. So that's where I think the infliction of the intentional distress comes in. Now you're making a great point that they're, they're, they're putting that letter on the 16th saying that, we don't, they're basically saying, we don't believe that. But you know, so we're putting the cart. me emotional distress if I don't believe it. No, but Joe, we're putting the cart before the horse. He, he already ruled the case is going forward. No, 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 it's not. It's not. If, if they want, if they have the money or, or the attorney can do it, they can file what's called an interlocutory appeal. You don't have to wait for the case to be over. You could do it by order to show cause to go to the appellate court to review this obvious error. It's an he's obvious he's telling error. them to he's telling them to settle. He's telling That's them why to I, I I honestly this judge overstepped. He overstepped himself. I think and you know Joe Murray better fly. You better fly to Florida, Joe. <laughs> I'm telling by his own words, he put this in the two statements together. Bertolino's statement on the 14th. And their le- attorney's letter on the 16th essentially saying, we don't believe that. How could it cause extreme emotional distress if they don't believe it? It didn't they, cause They were pulling their distress. hair out of their head. They were saying in their letter, they're not eating, they're not sleeping, looking That's for That's because killer. she's missing and he murdered her and she's dead. And they right, knew it. They really knew it inside. They knew he killed her. They did not believe Bernalino's statement. And if they don't believe it, it didn't cause them to believe she's alive somewhere. They knew it yeah, was Yeah, but bullshit. Joe, Joe, they, they really didn't know one way or the other. They didn't know the location. They, they, listen, they probably knew she was dead, but they didn't know the location of her body. She hadn't been recovered yet. Of course. And, well, and them putting that, that. Them, them putting that. statement There's out no saying that. Act. Okay, no but then. act. I think that the timing of when they put the statement out saying that they they hope that the the search is successful and that she's reunited with a family. I don't think that they meant reunited dead. They meant reunited alive. Joe. You know, I mean, there's also there's I'm also not saying what he meant, but what I'm saying is he didn't say alive. You know, no, what but I mean? Joe, there's I, also the doesn't matter. It doesn't. There's matter. also the potential that they had access to other evidence through police sources that may have went right to them with the evidence and told them, look, we know this, we know that, and we know this. That happens frequently in cases, as you know. But you're right. They could have been told by the FBI, she's dead. We know because we have this, this, and this. Bill, you're making my point. You're making my point. He says that. I don't want to make your point, Joe. (laughs) You're saying, I mean, the judge said that statement by Bertolino 
that alone was outrageous conduct because it gave them a false sense of hope. Bullshit. They said in the complaint, we don't believe it. And you're right. What you're saying, they probably did. You know how law enforcement updates the family. They probably did get inside information to lead them to believe that, yes, he did murder her. They Joe, let me ask you this. It. Joe, let me ask you this real, real uh, quick. This is just now. You know, I, I'm going to lay out what a civil jury is. It's it's six people, and you need the preponderance of the evidence, which is four, to vote in your favor. Now, if if this case goes before a jury of six people, and they say, look at the actions of the laundries prior to her even being reported missing. Now, what I mean by that is all the phone calls, the text messages, they don't respond. Then if you have a, uh, some type of evidence, uh, whether it be an email or a text message from Brian to his family or that the family to the lawyer or something uh, indicating that they knew that he was, uh, that she was dead. And then you have uh, the statement that comes out. I think that they're going to get the four out of the six jurors to rule in favor of the Petitos. I really do. They, they can't, and I'll tell you why. They won't be allowed to reach that question with regards to the laundry's inaction. This is only a motion to dismiss where you have to look at the allegations in the complaint, a light most favorable to the plaintiff, giving them every positive inference from the facts. Then after discovery, you have something called a summary judgment motion. Now that we know the facts, we have sworn testimony, we have a document exchange, here's what we have. That legal conclusion that the judge kind of sidestepped and went right to Berlino's statement, there is no duty for the laundries to speak or to act in any way. He said the that already. Thing, he said the that. only thing is the statement that Berlino said on their behalf, clearly, right. it was on their behalf, and he, he he analyzed that you know similar to the Johnny Depp situation. Yeah, but he say, the judge was saying that had they remained silent, he would have ruled in in, in the laundry's favor. But that's they didn't what I'm remain saying, silent. Phil. You, th that's what I'm saying. The jury will not be allowed to consider their inaction and their silence as inflicting emotional distress. Yeah, but it's not it's not inaction, it was the action, it was the statement. That's that All right, that's guys, guys, I don't want to argue this case here. We've uh, we, I wanted to move on. No, I wanted to move on to something else. But at yeah. first I I just folks, this is police off the cuff real crime stories. If you're not subscribed, please go on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, ring the bell, give us a thumbs up. If you want to support us, we have a Patreon with three different levels and we also have a YouTube channel members with five different members. I want to go to a quick little uh, commercial. I don't know why I'm doing a commercial because he's all over this already, but we got to do his commercial here. I'm going to do the commercial for Joe Murray, but I'm telling you, this guy's going to be a judge one day. He'll be Judge right. Murray. Joe Murray, attorney at law, have you found yourself in a jam? Are you in need of legal counsel in the New York area? Do you need a victim's advocate? Well, Joe Murray is your man. He's not only an experienced trial attorney, he's also a retired 15-year member of the NYPD. He literally knows both sides of the fence, and he knows his shit when it comes to the law. His website is jmurray-law.com. His telephone number is 646-838-1702, or you can email Joe at joe at jmurray-law.com. You know, folks, we were, um, we were uh, following another case, and it was the case of Caitlin Armstrong, who shot and killed that professional bicyclist.
And uh, guess what? She was just apprehended in Costa Rica by the felony apprehension squad. And we'll have a little uh, a little report on this. She's accused of killing uh, her love rival. Uh, she fled to Costa Rica with a false passport. How do these people uh, come up with these false passports and get it to pass with uh, Homeland Security? Uh, flew out of LaGuardia. Uh, well, flew into LaGuardia. And then, flew into LaGuardia. And then from LaGuardia to Costa Rica. And Actually, I think no, she went to she went to Newark a couple of days later, Billy. I think that they they had a pretty good idea where she was the whole time, and um, they were probably just searching in Costa Rica to find her. And I, apparently, she was staying at some youth hostel. And um, anyway, positive story: uh, the girl that she killed was a, was a real superstar that had um, really a great a great life ahead of her and uh, right. She snuffed it out by, uh, and we, we don't know if in fact um, there's more to this case. We don't know if, if the, if the boyfriend was inv involved at all, they really, they really, they really didn't get into that. Uh, he was brought in early on in the case and he was released. So, um, we could take it that he wasn't involved, but that doesn't mean he wasn't involved. Uh, uh, let me see if I can get this up on the screen. Another one. This one This one actually has sound, though. Armstrong, the most wanted woman in the USA, is in custody today, accused of murdering a love rival. The fugitive yoga instructor was apprehended in the beautiful resort town of Santa Teresa in Costa Rica. She was on the run for 43 days. The woman on the lamb has been captured in Costa Rica. Costa Rica is 2,000 miles from the United States. Armstrong is a suspect in the shooting death of a world-class cyclist, 25-year-old Mariah Wilson. Authorities say Armstrong went into a jealous rage, suspecting the victim was having an affair with her live-in boyfriend, Colin Strickland. According to one report, Armstrong had undergone plastic surgery to elude capture. The sensational saga began when Armstrong's vehicle was spotted leaving the scene of the murder in Austin last May. Surveillance tape subsequently showed her flying from Austin on May 14th with her yoga mat on her back to New York City. It's believed Armstrong also spent time at a yoga retreat in upstate New York, where her lookalike sister works. Authorities say she left Newark International Airport on May 18th en route to Costa Rica using a fake passport. It was just a matter of time. 43 days in hindsight is not a long time for somebody like Armstrong. She had cash. Uh, she sold her car. She was doing well in real estate. So she went dark. She was off the grid for a while. But uh, you know what I always say? You can run, but you can't hide. I'm so happy that the Fugitive Enforcement Division found her and not dog the bounty hunter you know oh, yeah. <laughs> people are always suggesting to me on this show why don't you why don't you call dog i said i try to tell people dog is a cartoon character he's not real you know <laughs> and then and then they get mad at me because they're like dog is real dog has ten thousand apprehensions i said oh really really 
You, you know, Billy, we've been following this case right from the onset. And when they reported uh, a couple of weeks back, they reported that on May 13th, uh, she flew from Austin to uh, Houston, then from Houston to New York, and she landed in LaGuardia. A couple of days later, I believe on the 18th, was when she flew out of Newark uh, to Costa Rica. But now what they reported initially was is that they spotted her in Newark, but they don't know whether she left. She didn't leave under her real name. So I think with the video surveillance, they must have tracked her to a specific terminal uh, a gate and they must've saw cause she had that bright red hair and she wasn't that hard to spot. And they must've took the manifest, went through it, uh, you know, day by day and figured out that she had gone to Costa Rica. And then I guess it was just a matter of time to track where she was exactly. Um, you know, they had to uh, do a process of elimination probably with the names, whatever name she had on the, on the passport. Uh, obviously it had to be a female name. So, uh, it, it didn't take much time, 43 days for someone that had, uh, it sounds like she had this pretty well planned. She had the fake passport. She had some cash. So, uh, 43 days is not really a long time, but, uh, the long Costa Rica and, uh, she'll be heading back to the United States sometime soon. You know what's amazing about this? Here, here she is. She's obviously educated. She's a beautiful girl. I mean, look at that mane of hair. She travels with a yoga mat on her back. <laughs> I know. I know when Joe Murray travels, he has his boxing gloves on his back, just in case. <laughs> boxing gloves in his law book on his. Yeah, side. just in case he and runs into some. <laughs> he runs into some detective that mouths off to him. <laughs> I, I, I know Phil uh, travels with a Spumoni Gardens bag with a veal cutlet Parmesan hero in the back yeah, slung right. over his shoulder. But, you know, then the, 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 the homeland security. you travel people. with a cabinet in your back. Yeah, that's right. Like a bottle of cabinet. You can't bring that on the plane, though. But, you know, when you think about throwing your life away, yeah. she threw her life away. Yeah, I mean, she sure did. It's just like, uh, you know, would, would, um, would that relationship have lasted? The one with her boyfriend. I mean, so now she throws this girl, uh, Mo, uh, who she killed, the, the professional bicyclist. She kills her. And then she throws her own life away because now she's going to prison probably for 25 to life. I mean, why people do things? I mean, I don't know. In the passion, she could probably uh, plead out to a 15-year bid or something like that. But either way, uh, she yeah. destroyed this this young girl's life who was a, a, a world-class bicycle racer. I mean, you know, she was right up there in, in, in the top in the in the world. And uh, I guess she just uh, she let the rage get the best of her. You know, someone in Pauline Buckles is asking, I wonder how long it will before Dr. Phil has Caitlin's family on his show. What I'd like to know is that how many times did she yeah. do yoga prior to fleeing to Newark? Oh, you don't like my $50,000 watch? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What a it's tragedy, a, though. You know, one it, it thing really it, one thing it, it reaffirms is don't mess with Texas. Boy, these Texans don't play around. You know? Yeah. Jeez. Absolutely. You know, but, and, and you know, the, the Texas Marshals don't play around. They uh, yeah. they got right on her track, and they got you know us. even with the mask and stuff. I I was so impressed by that. How did they find her? Well, the you original know? flight that she took, she flew under her own name when she went oh, from okay. Austin to Houston and Houston to LaGuardia. They tracked her pretty quickly. She was using her real name. She spent a couple of days in New York. I don't know if she uh, 
attain the uh, the fake passport in New York yeah. or not. However, uh, on the 18th, they had her in Newark, but they had her uh, just on video surveillance. They they spotted her, I guess, some sharp eagle-eyed, uh, you know, TSA or Marshall caught her, you know, from her description. And uh, but they said that she was in the airport, but she didn't leave the airport on a flight under her own name. So the, I guess they started checking, you know, with the video, you, you can't move anywhere in a, uh, in an airport without being on video, video surveillance. So they right. probably tracked her right to the gate that she went on. It's not that hard to do. I mean, mm -hmm. it's tedious, it's long, but uh, you can do it other than in a bathroom, I think is the only place where you wouldn't have uh, video surveillance in an airport yeah. these days. So they must have tracked her to a gate. They knew what flight uh, they get pulled a manifest and, you know, just got to uh, figure out, you know, females, they'll knock all the males out of the uh, equation, you know, elderly mm -hmm. and young, they'd knock them out and then they narrow it down and they just start going through those names till they figure out, uh, you know, who was the, uh, the fake passport that, and where she went. And then I guess, uh, you know, I did a little, uh, well, Hey Phil, you know, when you fly and you go up to the first level of security and now you have your mask on, they'll go well, pull your mask down so they can see your face. And they, they look at it versus your license. I mean, look, one of the hardest things you could do as a cop is someone hands you a picture and goes, go grab this guy. He's out on the street. How hard yeah. is it to match up that photo with a thousand people on the street? Not so easy, right? You Absolutely. tell civilians that you say, oh yeah, they gave me a picture. They said, go find this guy. Oh, so that sounds easy. Oh, really? Try that one day. Just get a picture of someone you don't know and now go out on the street and go find them. And we did it all the time, but not so easy, though. Right? Very, very, very difficult. I, I had a guy one time that was wanted on a homicide and numerous uh, robberies where he was hitting senior citizens over the head with a pipe and robbing them. And uh, I he had been tossed. They did a 250, which is a stop question and frisk for him. And we had the, the, the photo of him. So we went and showed it around and there was some guy that was dealing on a corner. And I said, when we pulled up, he went to run. I said, don't run, don't run. I just want you to look at this photo. I showed him the photo. He said, the guy just left. He was wearing a gold jacket. And when he said gold jacket was a pretty warm day. Sure enough, we did a, a, a quick, uh, uh, you know, we, we uh, canvassed through the area and I saw a guy walking into a bodega holding a gold jacket Jumped out of the car, went in. Sure enough, it was him. It put an end to the pad and solved the homicide. But uh, not that easy, Bill. You make a good point. Unless you got one of these in your chin. Yeah, I think right. Might have one, but he's covering it up with a beard. You know, you know we, we went out, and I told this story once before on another show. We were looking for guy a guy in um, uh, Kennedy Airport that was flying to Chile. And he just murdered his friend earlier in that day. His friend, who was also from Chile, came to Washington Heights and had a, an affair with his wife. So he found out about it. He flew from Chile to Washington Heights and killed his friend, stabbed him to death. Wow. And through investigation, we ID'd him and everything. And we tracked him to the airport. And had he gone on that plane to Chile and got, it got up in the air, he was gone. Because Chile has no extradition, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you had to see his face when we picked him out of the airport. Oh, my God. It was like, oh no, you know. Oh shit! Yeah, he never got on that plane, and uh, now he's uh, he's never going back to Chile. I don't think. Yeah. You know? you you know you brought up Manhattan, Billy. There was that horrible situation last night on the Upper East Side where I think it was a oh, twenty-year-old mother of a three-month-old baby was executed. They're obviously naming the boyfriend as a suspect, but uh, you know, Phil, you know what I didn't like about that? 
uh, to me as a, a trained homicide investigator, right away, I knew it was the baby daddy. Right away. And they're using that for gun control. They're using that. There's too many guns on the streets. They're using that for political purposes. And it's bullshit because the police knew right away this is the baby daddy. But they used it to scare the shit out of the whole neighborhood because now they're just saying too many guns. Has nothing to do with guns. This was a targeted individual by someone that had a horrendous relationship with her. Yeah. And it's the baby daddy. Long, they say he has a long criminal history. Of course well. he does. And you know yeah. the other thing they wouldn't do? They refuse to ID him. Again, he's a male wearing dark clothing. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Alvin Bragg. I think it's a little more than that, uh, Joe. Uh, yeah. It's the media. The media has a, uh, an obligation to report facts. Now, just saying male. I mean, white, Hispanic, black, whatever it is, you got to say it. What's this male nonsense? You know? Yeah, I mean, but w- would Anamon have responded to that job and not put out there exactly what he found or exactly what he had? I mean, this is this is just who we have, our leaders now. Like Joe, the DA, Morgenthau would have grabbed the mic and said, you know, I, I want to explain, you know, this is what we have, this is what we're doing. I, I just think it's law enforcement right now is is in a weak state. But, Joe, they're playing the politics, too, because it's disgusting. I think they knew minute they expect one. expect that from them. They know. but They it, knew. It, they knew minute one. This is the baby daddy. It's the yeah. boyfriend. They're having a long, ongoing dispute. It's He fits the description. It's probably him. Instead of scaring the shit out of the whole neighborhood and saying, we got a guy out there who killed a 20-year-old woman pushing a three-month-old baby. Yeah. Doesn't that scare the shit out of the neighborhood? Yeah, and guess well, what? You didn't have to scare the neighborhood because we probably know who this is. And it was a targeted hit. Yeah. Yeah. If, but for the gun, it would have been a knife. You know, like this guy had a, he was on a mission. Yeah. yeah. But they wanted to get political mileage out of it. They started talking about, about ghost guns. They started talking. And Adams, it started with Adams. Yeah. And, and it, it got more and more sickening as the night progressed. Even, you know, my son called me from the city. He goes, oh, dad. He goes, you know, a 21, a 20-year-old lady was killed on the other. I said, I know. I know. We know who did it, too. The baby daddy did. Don't worry about it. it. has nothing to do with you, you know? But it scares the entire city because the way they reported it. The, the reporting is too politically correct. I watch the news, and you'll see a video, and you could clearly see the uh, whether the person is Caucasian or black, you could see the ethnicity of a person, but they'll just say, and the police are looking for a male with dark clothing. I mean, why? Why? Yeah. You're showing the video of the person. You can clearly see what their ethnicity is. Just say it. I mean, when we were, uh, you know, training as a rookie and you got on the scene of a, a, a robbery, let's say, or a burglary and somebody just fled, the first thing you do is you're telling the person, all right, what do they look like? And you're putting the description out. Shouldn't yeah. you be doing that on the news when you're looking for somebody that just executed a 20-year-old woman? You should definitely, yeah. uh, you're obligated to report the facts. And they don't. It's it's just terrible. It is. Yeah, t- I used to have a guy in the 2-3 squad that was from the Virgin Islands. And he would go up to someone to get a description and he would say, how he look. <laughs> <laughs> we used to die laughing. We used to go, Z, it's what did he look like? Oh, okay. How he look. <laughs> I loved it. We, we had so many laughs over that, you know. 
<laughs> you know, the real sad part of this whole thing is, in spite of this high crime and these real violent, vicious, random attacks where, where people are getting killed, you know, the guy on the subway going to brunch, in spite of all this, and we have prosecutors that don't want to prosecute, we have, you know, the whole defunding the police and all that, you would think that people would be motivated to get out and go to the polls and vote their conscience. 16% of the people came out and voted. It was pathetic. I was with Andrew Giuliani. We were in Queens going to a couple different schools. It was a ghost town. It was an absolute ghost town. There was nobody around. You know, Joe, I, think I that kept people... shaking his hand because I felt bad. Somebody should shake his hand. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was terrible. I think that, I think that people in the New York metropolitan area, you have the extreme left and then the rest don't vote. The only people that vote are the extreme left. No one else votes. I you know? associate it with the campaigns, the uh, the the parties are like organized crime. Think about this: the state party leader is the boss, and then they have their county leaders. That's the capo regime. You know, these are the guys who. <laughs> And then they have the district. into Tommy Gates territory here, Joe. But go ahead, continue. And they got the district leaders. Those are the soldiers who are out there on the street in the clubs, bringing people in, and they have associates that they work with. So when the boss says we're back in Lee Zeldin, he sends the word down to the capos who get together with their, you know, soldiers, the district leaders. And they get their associates to turn out. And they have their regular absentee ballot people that they tell who to vote. And when you have a low turnout, the bosses of these two crime families, the Republicans and Democrats, they pick their candidate. And look who won. Hochul by a landslide, backed by the party. Yeah, Joe, do you Nelson know that by she... a landslide, backed by the party. Do you it's know that Hochul has $32 million in a war chest? She's only been around for about eight months. How does she already have $32 million? How? Because we're like the most corrupt state in the country. You know, it's disgusting. Party is throwing a lot of money her way. Yeah, but both parties are corrupt. I mean, they're, they're terribly oh, yeah. corrupt. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the Republican Party went out of their way to try to knock people off the ballot. They were trying to get Giuliani knocked off the ballot. That's why I backed him, because I hate this corruption. So when you are the outsider, I'm going to back you. You know? you know, he did pretty good, Giuliani. He, he came did. The city. He did very well in the city. Yeah. He, he did. I mean. Uh, he, he won he four of the five boroughs. He, he came in second, I think, in Manhattan. But he won every other borough. For a newcomer, a guy that really never held political office, I think yeah. he did pretty good. I'm going to watch out yeah. for that kid. I met, a, I met him over in Brooklyn at Spumoni Gardens a few times. And yeah. uh, he seems like he's squared away, that kid. Triathlete, yeah, I like them. I like them. Triathlete New York, thank you for the 199 super chat and for the thank great you. compliment. Great job, always enjoy your show, guys. I just want you everyone to know Phil's going to Florida on a little bit of a vacation. I don't know yeah. what the veal. I don't know what the veal is like on the west coast of Florida. We're gonna. You may have to out. call. You may have to call ahead and you know send the send the team to find out if they're pounding that veal. <laughs> My wife has got reservations. Or she was talking about <laughs> changing some of them today. She's on the phone, but uh, we're gonna have a good time. We'll. we'll hey. where, where, where? I'm sorry. Where on the west coast? Naples. 
Uh, no, in that area. We're going to the West Coast. I just you don't want to give up where he is. You know, there might be a hit team sent his way. You know, send yeah. me the ball. They send somebody to pay me a visit. You know? Best meal in the city. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Hey, so by the way. I'm going to send a video. I'm going to try and do something from there. So uh, we'll see what happens over the next few days. If you Philly, get an opportunity, you got to see the Elvis movie. I took Ange. Everybody, my, my daughter, my 23-year-old my daughter, doesn't even know who Elvis is, went to see it. And now she's an Elvis fan overnight. She can't tell, tell me enough about the uh, Yeah, about the it was movie. fantastic. My wife was saying we got to see it when we get back. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Alicia B., thank you so much for the $10 Super Chat. It must have been Joe talking about Elvis. <laughs> uh, thank you, Joe, for coming to the party. Love uh, to give it a take. Thank you, thank you, you. Alicia B. You know, guys, a lot of people have been reaching out to me, and I know in the um, where we have the Streamlabs thing, everyone's getting upset you can support POC. I'm going to have Josh change that to POTC. I know people are saying, oh, that means po people of color. I mean it to mean police off the cuff. And when we first put that up, it, it that's why I know people get upset over the most mundane stuff. But I'll have Josh, our engineer, fix that, yeah. and uh, hopefully, no one will get upset. The yeah. other day, someone got upset about to, about me. I I spelled in the title the Petito's name wrong. I put two T's in, instead of one, and it said the lady writes, "I'm unsubscribing." I was like, "Wow! If that's all it takes for you to unsubscribe, man, I, I better take more a spelling bee or something." You know? No, it's yeah. funny. I had to look at it. I wrote P I T I T O, but I thought it was two T's. Thinking about no, it. oh, it's P E T I T O. Yeah, Petito. Yeah. And I had spelled it the other night with two T's. And oh my God, you would have thought that I failed. You know, I it was the state spelling bee, and I forgot oh, to pronounce it. Of course, you're a college professor. Yeah, I, I guess. You know, I spell now. stuff. You should know how to spell Petito. <laughs> Everyone spells stuff wrong. And uh, even oh, Joe, the, even spell. Joe, the attorney, you know. You know, so something. just getting back to this real quick. There's a simple solution to this because this judge is going to be embarrassed at the way he wrote this and the mistake he made. They can do something called a motion to re-argue. Whenever a, a judge misinterprets or misapprehends the law or the facts, you have 30 days to file a motion to re-argue. And they should really do that because in his own decision, he compares them. The one is right over the other on page two. I, I emailed it to you. Clearly, that statement put out by Bernalino meant nothing to them. They dismissed it out of hand. And didn't believe it. So how could that be the cause of this extreme outrageous conduct? It can't be. It's impossible. And then the laundries themselves have no duty to speak or no duty to act. So the one statement that Bertolino made is the reason why he's allowing it to go forward. But by his own words and his own decision, I would show it to him. And he may change his opinion. All right, Joe, I'm going to send the judge a copy of this episode. Phil, <laughs> final words. Final words. Joe, thanks so much for uh, coming on. It was great to have you on. Um, I, real quick, I think they that he cited that they didn't remain silent about it. They did make the statement. So we'll see where this goes. This is going to be an interesting one. Uh, everybody should really enjoy Fourth of July weekend coming up. Uh, it's the, the, the country is, is a great country. It's the greatest country in the world. That's why 2 million people are trying to get in in the last year. Uh, everybody just try and enjoy yourself. Have a good 4th of July. I'm going to be away, but I'm going to try and uh, do something and I'll send it to Bill. Hopefully we can, maybe we'll even do a show from down there. So, uh, a POW, a POTC, 
Rocks. Very good. Very good. Schmitty, uh, thank you, Schmitty, for the $2 super chat. You know, just so you guys know, I, in keeping up with uh, uh, Bill Cannon news, and I don't, make, I don't mean to make the show all about me, but I'm looking into spending the entire winter in Florida uh, from uh, November 1st through May 1st. And if I can make it happen, I'm going to do the show from down there, and maybe you better have can... a studio in that. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring yeah. I'll bring you down, Phil. You know, and I you know I want to spend the winter down. There. I want to see what it's like to um to live there in the winter. In fact, I would love to uh, one of these days move to Florida and make that uh, my home. You know, because right. uh, I can't keep track of uh, all of these leftists running for office in uh, in this area. You know, Bill. One thing unrelated, I just wanted to say because it is Fourth of July uh, weekend. I had been working on an article that if I couldn't get it published, I was going to buy ad space to publish it myself. I've just been so busy at work on the Declaration of Independence. So many people have never read it. They've never read it. And on our country's birthday and this document, this is the founding document. I'm just asking anyone who's listening, if you could please just read it. Just read that, the Declaration of Independence, Google it. There is so much meaning, and I was writing it by modernizing it with what's happening in the world today and how those words are so meaningful right now, you know, <clears throat> with all the stuff that we're facing in this country and, and the, the fights, the left, the right. So I would just ask people to just Google it, just read it. It is your country. It is your country and it is a founding document of this country. Other than that, have a wonderful 4th of July. Everyone have a me. wonderful 4th of July. Safe. Be with your family. Hug your kids. Kiss your wife. Uh, say hello to your brother-in-law. Whatever you got to do. Eat a veal color parmesan hero. <laughs> have a great night, everyone. Be safe. Stay safe, everyone, and happy 4th. Happy. One episode, just saying enough.